there's a promise there. That God's going to promote. God wants to see his people, really as the Old Testament said, being the head and not the tail. But you can choose to be the tail and not the head. What you put into the word of God is what you'll get out of it. What you put into it, the time you put into it, the studying you put into it, is how it will be a blessing to your life. You stay ignorant of it will only cost you. And sometimes we look at other people and we say, why are they here? Why are they doing this? Why do they have... God has a way of blessing. And I like what he says in Samuel, First Samuel, if you honor me, I'll honor you. If you're not ashamed of me, I won't be ashamed of you. If you lift me up, I'll lift you up. And God will do that. So let's pray and let's get into his word. Father, we want to thank you and praise you for that, Lord, which you do in the life of the hearers of your word. That we only will be a people who practice what we hear. And Lord, for those who don't hear, Lord, there's so much more that could be there for them. But we choose to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn, or sit at the feet of the world and learn. And Satan is very much so willing to teach us how to live a life contrary to what God would have us to live. Satan is willing to teach us to deny that God has a will for our life. Never telling us that he has a desire to destroy us. And Lord, I pray that we would see your word as that double-edged sword, that we would see your word as our shield and protector. We'll see your word as that which builds up walls around our life that the enemy cannot overcome. Allow us, Lord, to learn your word. Put it together to see how it flows, to see how you work, to see your character in it all. Let us not be satisfied with just knowing our ABCs and can't spell. But help us, Lord, to go on from our ABCs that we can be a teacher of a new generation. That we can be a people who can pass on knowledge that you have given unto us. That we can be a people 
who can say to our children and our grandchildren, walk in my steps as I walk in the steps of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you minister to us? Would you enlighten us? Would you show us truth in your word and help us to connect it and give us the ability to believe it and to practice it and live it out every day that we might glorify you and it might profit us. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Why is that New Testament so much better than the Old? Why? I was trying to have some communication with my wife last night, and she went into her theologian, junior Holy Spirit mode, and And because uh, I was going back over some verses, and, uh, and, and, and then she's going to wind up telling me, you, well, you've been preaching this long and you don't believe it? And then Melvin had to say something like that this morning about the other guy that's been preaching and he <laughs> don't believe and come to a saving faith of Jesus Christ later. People, when you learn and understand the richness of the New Testament, over the old. And the old is fading. It's aging. It's disappearing. But that New Testament is going to be here from now on. Because God has ordained it. And it's a living word. The Lord Jesus Christ. It is a living word. Two things that really make Old Testament far superior than the New Testament. Although both were in the Old Testament, but not in the manner as they are in the New Testament. One, the Holy Spirit. Two, Jesus Christ. And there's many more things. But those are the two most important that we need to get a grasp on and understand why. Now, the new covenant, which was not the issue in the old covenant, but is the real issue in the new covenant is a new life, a different life. Nowhere in the Old Testament do we have a statement that says, if a person be in God, they are a new creature. We have that in the New Testament. That any man, any woman, any child who is in Jesus Christ, old things are doing what? Passing away. And all things are becoming what? New. And it's a new life. And we live and we move 
in him in the power of the Holy Spirit that has been given to us to live within us. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't live in everyone. We can debate and argue the issue if he came upon or if he lived in. But he was not with everyone. In the New Testament, every believer has the Holy Spirit. He's God, omnipresent. And he has a work to do in us. A work to do in us. That enriches our life. And brings about a New Testament. Sir, she's okay. If you want to let her sleep, let her sleep. She's fine. She's not going to bother us. Yeah, you can just lay her right down on the seat or whatever you want to do. But we have this privilege of being developed into new creatures under the new covenant. The old covenant, they had a law to follow. But they, as I said last week, they were not empowered to really perform the law. But the law had its purpose that it showed them they were wrong. They were wrong. Big difference, Old Testament, New Testament also may be said, you have more grace in the New Testament than you did in the Old Testament. Grace for in both. In the Old Testament, you broke the law, and oftentimes you were what? Stoned to death. New Testament, you are forgiven. There's a richness in this new covenant, in this new life, to those who believe right now. It changes our life. Now, what makes all this possible? The Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ. Let's go to Romans 8.29 because you don't have this in the Old Testament. We don't have something which we're really shooting for. In Exodus, God says to Moses, I am holy and my people should be holy. You can be told to do something without the ability to do it or the means to do it. And it's not that you don't try. You don't work at it. But Israel did not have the ability to be holy. No more than we do. In and of ourselves. But through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we have been sanctified, set apart, and we are becoming like him. 
who is holy, Jesus. Romans 8, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. He predestined. You can't get out of it. To be conformed. To be what? To be reshaped, remade, conformed. Conformed to what? Be conformed to the likeness of his son. Now, nowhere did God ask for a vote on this. How many of you want to be like my son? He didn't ask. It's not found anywhere in the Old Testament of somewhere where God has pointed or predestined his people to really be like. But in the New Testament, he does. He says... I'm going to work in your life and I'm going to make you into the image of my son. You're going to be like my son. And then over in 1 John 3, he answers it. He says, when we see him, we will what? Be like him. We'll be that finished product. And the scripture tells us And it's a promise. He who has begun a good work in us, he'll do what? He'll continue it until the day of Christ. That God is saying to each and every one of us, I'm going to be faithful to work in your life. You can kick, you can scream, you can have your tantrums, you can dislike it, you can hate it, but this is what you're going to be. You're going to be like my son. And God works in our lives to bring us to that point. You don't find that in Old Testament. You do find that in the New Testament. Now, I want you to go back with me to Jeremiah 31. I really want to put the two together here. And we want to be able to see this. Because if we don't catch it, we're going to miss a lot about this new covenant. And we want to pick up in 31, in Jeremiah 31. He says, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I'm going to make a brand new covenant not going to be like the old, with the house, and he brings out these two names, and boy, the more I'm digging into this, the, the more interested it becomes. With the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah. And I want to show you in scripture why the house of Judah also here. But I also want to bring you into a historical point. When he makes this promise here, of a new covenant. There's a divided kingdom. There's the northern, the southern. There's Israel up in the north, 
Judah down in the southern. But we need also to get a little glimpse what may have happened with this division. And that's important to be able to catch and to see. And he says, I'm going to make a brand new covenant with Israel and with Judah. When you go over into Romans 1.16, he says, first unto the house of Israel, or to the Jews first, then Gentiles, one, but to Israel first. And in Matthew 10.6, when he's sending them out, when he's talking with the woman who wants the blessing for her daughter, and he tells her, first to the house of Israel. He, he was sent first to the house of Israel. And Israel always comes first. Not in, not in a sense that God does this for one group of people and neglect another group. That's not what he's saying. I do it here first because these are the ones that I have always used to set the example, in a sense, and the timetable. So I work with Israel. And it is the keeping of my word to Israel first. And therefore, he says, I'm going to make this covenant with Israel and Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers, their forefathers, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant. That's the weakness, man. Is that he's dealing with man. Fallen man. Sinful man. It's not that God's word was not good. Was not a blessing. But it's man. We're the ones who always make God look bad. We are. We run our mouth about how much we love the Lord and what we want to do and this and that and how God's blessed us. And the unsaving world looks at us and says, if that's what you call somebody serving God, I don't know if I want to be involved in that. It's, it, it is surprising that people who look at our lives because we say we love the Lord and we cause them to be confused by how we live. They can't understand that. See, if I tell you I love Elaine and you see me out about with other women, would that cause a confusion? Would that cause a misunderstanding of what marriage is and commitment is? And we do that in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We cause confusion sometimes. We're hot, we're cold. We're hot, we're cold. We're in love, we're out of love. We're obeying, we're not obeying. And what God wants to see is a consistency. God already knows we're going to what? But these big crashes, they shouldn't be happening. 
and we love the Lord. There, there's really something wrong there. There's something that we have to be delivered from. There's something that I'm saying out of my mouth, but my heart is, is not connected with it. During this time, you got these two nations. Both are saying they love the Lord. But you got two different actions. Go to Second Chronicles chapter 11. And we're going to come back to Jeremiah. But right now, go over to Second Chronicles chapter 11. I want you to see what takes place here. We're going to pick up in verse 13. It's talking about Rehoboam, Rehoboam, and, and Judah. Here's that split. Now, what I want you to catch in this, because it's important to understand now why Judah is mis- mentioned in Isaiah, in, in Jeremiah. Why Judah is mentioned. Then later on, Judah is also mentioned over in Hebrews chapter 7. This what does part of that connecting of the understanding of why Judah is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 7. He starts in that verse 13. The priests and Levites from all their districts throughout Israel sided with him, Rehoboam, with Judah. The Israelites, I'm sorry, the Levites even abandoned their pasture lands and prosperity and property and came to Judah and Jerusalem because Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them. Catch what he's saying. Jeroboam had rejected the priesthood of the Old Covenant. He rejected the laws of God, the Old Covenant. Part of the job of the priests were to teach the laws of God. Now I want you to see what man does and understand when you get over in Hebrews why he will call Jesus Christ an eternal priest. Because every priest that the Israelites selected one day died. And there had to be another priest, high priest, elected. But with Jesus Christ, he's an eternal high priest. That 1 a.m., that somebody understood it. That he, was, he is an eternal, everlasting, will not die, high priest. And he goes on, and look what he says there. Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them as priests of the Lord. Verse 15. 
and he appointed his own priest. He appointed his own priest. Man will always appoint, in a sense, their own leaders over the leaders of God. Man will change God's way of doing things or what God has ordained or has historically set in place. Man will change it. And he appointed his own priests for the high places and for the goat and calf, idols he had made. He is what? Whitewashing, destroying all that God had done in the life of who? Israel. America is slowly trying to do that with Christianity today. They're putting it further and further out of the minds of people and trying to slowly cause God to disappear. Not trying to do away with religion, but definitely trying to do away with Christianity. And I want you to take note. The people were going to still worship. The people were going to still pray. The people were going to still make sacrifices, but not in the manner in which God had ordained. For he had appointed his own priests, and he sets up his own rules. Verse 16. Those from every tribe of Israel who set their hearts on seeking the Lord, the God of Israel, followed the Levites to Jerusalem, to Judea. See, they had to make a decision. If I'm going to worship the God of my forefathers, if I'm going to really worship the living God, I can't stay here. I got to go over there. That means I got to give up home, my prosperity or wealth, because you can't take everything with you. But they put God in a place in their life that they said it's worth leaving all this for I can worship the one true God. God of Israel followed the Levites to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices to the Lord and the God of their fathers. They strengthened the kingdom of Judah and supported Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. Three years walked in the ways of David and Solomon during this time. Go over to Hebrews now. Stay in, stay in mind of Jeremiah 31. Hebrews chapter 7. Keep the word Judah in front of your mind also. Twelve through fourteen, and we'll go through this again as we get back into it again in the flow of Christ. But I want you to look at verse twelve through fourteen. For when there is For when there is a change 
of the priesthood, there must also be a change of what? Of the law. When there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. Rehoboam, Jeroboam did not accept the priesthood of the Lord. He made a change. He also changed the law. That his priest will function in this way and do this and do that. God now is going to make a change in the priesthood. It would no longer be a fleshly man per se who will be the high priest but the Lord Jesus Christ who will be an eternal high priest who will never die. And a new covenant comes because God is making a change. And in 1 Peter 2.9 he says a royal priesthood. There's a change in the priesthood. And if there's going to be a change in the priesthood, there has to be a change in the law or the covenant. Follow with me just a little bit more here. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there must also be a change in the law. He of whom these things are said belong to the different tribe. To these things which we're talking about, he says the one who's going to be elected for this position belongs to a different tribe. Historically, we know all the priesthood came out of what tribe? Leviticus, the Levites. Out of the Levites come all the priesthood. They were separated unto God. But now we have a new priesthood that comes out of a different tribe. Let's keep reading a little bit. He of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe. And no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. No one from the tribe of Judah has ever served as a priest or a high priest. Why? Because all the priests came from where? Levi. And now we have a new covenant, a new high priest, and this high priest comes from a different tribe that never served. No one never served there at the altar of God. And no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from where? Judah. 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 And God brings this new covenant, this new priesthood, really out of the tribe of what? Judah. 
to Israel as a whole. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. What is God trying to say to us? From out of Judah, it would never heard that a priest would come. But now, this high priest, this eternal high priest, comes from the tribe of Judah to administrate, in a sense, or to govern over this new covenant that God has introduced unto a new people. And in 1 Peter 2.29, he calls us a royal priesthood. Now, the question that has to come forth is this. Who or what is going to build this new priesthood? Who's going to really teach this new covenant? Go back to Jeremiah 31. Let's jump into verse 33. Take note. 33. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their what? In their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor. Go over to Ephesians 4, 22. Remember what the Lord just said he's going to put it for at? In their minds. And there's somebody who's going to do the teaching. 4.22, Ephesians. Now, listen to the first three words. You were taught. You were taught. You were taught. If you were taught, it takes somebody to teach you. He says, you were taught. You're being taught this new life. You're being taught this new way of living. You're being taught. And it's strange to you because the old man in you, the old person in you, will fight against that. Your thinking is not like God's thinking. Your ability to reason and rationale and to understand it is not like God's. That's why the Christian has to walk by faith and not by sight because he's not going to understand the things of God. And it takes faith to live out a Christian life. And he says you were taught Let's go a little further. With regard of your former way of life. In other words, somebody had to stop you 
and the way in which you live and says, is wrong, here's the right way. This is wrong, this is the right way. And what they're doing is teaching you at that point. You're being taught the difference between right and wrong. In the Old Testament, they used the laws and mostly the symbolicness of the law. One of the things that is still good in the Catholic Church today, if I go through the whole little ceremonial part of it, when you first step into a Catholic Church, hands go in a little cup of water, boom, 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 That is the cleansing of the total person before they stepped into the presence of God. On the walls, on both sides of the wall, there are so many what they call stations of the cross. If you learn the stations of the cross, you have basically learned the life of Christ. It was symbolicness. And today in the Catholic Church, there is still a lot of symbolicness. Not enough teaching from the word of God, but a lot of teaching from symbolic meanings. In what we call the Protestant world, there is no real symbolicness much, but a lot of teaching that people don't catch or understand. And he says, you're being taught of your former life, the way you used to live, the way you used to think. He says, you're being corrected now by what you are learning. He goes on and he says, in regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self. How difficult that is. That is a struggle. That's a fight to get rid of your old self. Because it's so easy to retreat backwards. It's so easy to do what you know rather than step out in faith and believe and trust God that he means you good. And he goes on a little further there. He says, corrupted by its deceitful desires. It's what? It's deceitful desires. It's what I want. It's what I desire. Everything you desire, if you obey God and trust God, eventually comes to you. It's surprising. Sometime when I'm, you may see this a little foolish, but sometime I'll go in my garage on the side door, I'll put my hands on my motorbike, and I say, thank you, Lord. Put my hand on my car, say, thank you, Lord. Going into that, thank you, Lord. Why? It all has come through who? Through him. It may seem a little foolish thing, but when's the last time you went around, put your hands on something and said, thank you, Lord. For every good and perfect gift coming from where? From above. John says, no man can have anything unless it comes from God. So when's the last time you said, thank you, Lord, for your raggedy old chair. 
and thank God you got a chair. You know how many people in the world may not have a chair? They sit on milk cartons. They sit on a tree log. Or they just sit in plain dirt. When's the last time, seriously now, you said, Lord, thank you. Because, see, we think somehow we gathered all this stuff. We think this is something we did. Not understanding God has blessed us. And he goes on, he says, from your deceitful desires. Now, look at that word deceitful. Your desires are tricking who or deceiving who? You, me. If I don't check my desires with God's word and check my desire with prayer, Lord, do you want me to have this? Lord, is it okay if I get this? You say, well, that's, that's just taking stuff too far, Pastor. No, it's not. In all your ways, acknowledge who. And he will direct your way. But if you don't acknowledge him, he won't direct. Deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your where? Your minds. Created to be like God in true righteousness and what? And holiness. So God is going to make you or your life into true righteousness and holiness. Now he said he's going to write it. He's going to put it where? In your mind in Jeremiah. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. See, you guys are going to make me regret that I told you guys to be up here on time. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 3. You show that you are a letter from Christ. The results of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit and the living God. Not on tablets of stone. The Old Testament, the law was written on what? On stones. But look where it's written at today. Not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of the human heart. But on the tablets of the human heart. We'll pick up next week, Mama. I don't want to rush through this because it's all too important. God's covenant is that he's going to put his word. Where at? In your mind. And he's going to write it where? On your heart. Our next step is to understand who's going to do this. Because he says, and we'll pick it up next week. No, Melvin's next week. I'll pick it up in two weeks. Is simply this. The Holy Spirit is sent to convict every man, woman, and child of their guilt and their unbelief. Not to convict them to be saved per se. 
but to convict them of their unrighteousness, convict them of their unbelief in Jesus Christ, to convict them of judgment and of their sin. And when you're convicted, who has to make a decision? Yes. Or you deny the conviction that takes place on the inside and he says no man will have to teach his brother because the Holy Spirit is going to do something in every life for that no man can stand before God and say I didn't know. Yes you did. You know. But you chose to go another way. You know your unrighteousness and you choose to do unrighteous. You know that judgment's coming one day. But you're the one who says, or make some kind of excuse about it. He's a loving God. He's this. He's that. Yes, he is. But God will just, I love my children by tear them up. And the whole process is simply this. God is going to bring each and every one of us into the image of his son. And what does that image look like? I come to do the will of my father, not whose, not mine. Not mine, but the will of my Father. And we'll pick up with the area of Jesus Christ really becoming that high priest and understanding this section just a little bit better. Father, your word is so rich. That, Lord, we could hang on every word. And every word, even the word but and the word and and the word therefore, can be brought into a sermon all on its own. Help us, Lord, not to just quickly read, but to read with a desire of understanding. Reading, Lord, the word of God and connecting what you have put in your word. Help us, Lord, to sit at the feet of Jesus and be taught by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to want to know. Help us to get off our ABCs. Help us to get further than just being saved but living in the inheritance and living in the richness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, would you move us from where we first began? For some of us, Lord, we're no further than just salvation. When you want us to be living further down the road, minister to us. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears. 
that we would not hear Pastor Brown, but we would hear your spirit minister to us. May he take it off the pages of your Bible, your electronic device, and may he write it on your heart and place it in your mind. Lord, you're the only one who can do it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will and to your way, I'll say yes, Lord, yes. I will trust you and obey when your spirit speaks to me. With my whole heart, I'll agree, and my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your, I'll say, say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey when your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart i'll agree and my answer will be yes sing it one more time i'll say yes lord yes to your will and to your way I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey when your spirit speaks with me, with my whole heart I'll agree, and my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. Amen. As we go through this, my prayer is some of you will say, Lord, I want to rededicate my life to you. There's things I don't understand. But Lord, I realize I'm not committed to you. You're committed to me. But I'm not committed to you. Have you ever been with a person who you felt was committed to you, but in reality they were not? But you're 100% committed to them. I wonder how God feels about some of us. He's 100% committed to you and me. What's your commitment level? What is your commitment level? You're the only one who can answer that. We're not to judge each other, look at each other. But I'm going to challenge you. Look at your commitment level. 
Is he really worth living for? Is he really worth giving your life over to him? Is he worth the little pain and the toil that you go through? There's that song that says, if anybody asks you where I'm going, I don't like to use the word up yonder. I'm going up to heaven. And he's, and in that second line it says, I can take the pain and the hurt that comes. Knowing the comfort that soon and very soon I'll be gone. Soon and very soon I'll be gone. Because life is not long. What's your commitment? Father, as you dismiss us in your love, would you somehow cause each and every one of us to take that home with us and to regurgitate it and to think it over again and again and again? What is my commitment to you? Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for giving us newness of life. And thank you, Lord, for your promise in your new covenant that you will work in our lives until we see Christ face to face. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Jesus is the answer.